0: And uh, welcome to the jar. We're glad you're here. Uh, one of uh, our ministry spotlights. Hey, Derek, can you take that mic, get it out of here? In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, thanks, Derek. Doesn't Derek do a good job? Let's give Derek a hand. He really does. Hey, uh, one of the things we want to spotlight today is a particular uh, ministry that is important, and we need people for this, especially next week and the weeks to come. But it's our uh, setup team ministry, and uh, we need you. In fact, I think there'll be a picture that comes up. Uncle Eric needs you. Uncle Eric's in the back. Everybody look at Uncle Eric. Wave at him. There he is. And uh, if you can... uh, Sign up today uh, to help with setup. That will be great. The reason you're sitting in a seat is because somebody set it up for you. The reason the banners, uh, screens, all of that is because someone did. And uh, it's just a once a month kind of commitment. But uh, we want to encourage you uh, to uh, go ahead and uh, be a part of that. Well, God has always been on the go. God has always been on the move. In fact, there has never been a time in which God has not been moving. And we believe here at the jar that God was at work thousands and thousands of years ago and that He's at work today doing stuff. He is on the move. For instance, God is not a static God. He does not sit on the sidelines and watch you go through pain or struggles or issues in your life and just go, hey, deal with it. But God is actively involved in our world. He is moving constantly and He's longing for people to draw closer to Him. And I can't think of a better time for us as a church to be on the move and joining God in the midst of that than as Easter comes up. Because the reality is, God is on the move, and He wants you to be on the move. To be moving in a way that draws people closer to Him. So the big idea this morning that I want you to leave with is this. God is on the move. God is on the move. And God wants you to be on the move as well. Now the question becomes, why uh, should I be on the move, or how should I respond to God being on the move? You know, growing up, uh, and pretty much through most of my 20s, if there would have been a play about my life, it would have been called The Chris Bunch Story. And you know who would have been in the cast? Me, myself, and I. Because life was all about me. Nobody else. I didn't want anybody else in my story. And I would have produced and starred in it and directed the whole thing. And guess who would have been the star? Me. A little slow this morning, aren't I? Me. Okay? My name would have been huge in lights. And the marquee would have been all about me. And for about half of my life, this is pretty much the way that I live my life. The only problem was this, folks. I was a star in a terrible play. It was just horrible. It wasn't even worth watching. I mean, it stunk. It reeked. It was bad. It was stanky, you know. I mean, I was the star in my story, but the story just wasn't any good. So I wanted a better story. Maybe a story that I could be a part of in which uh, I wouldn't have to be the star of it. I could just have a small part in a really good story. And spiritually speaking, I hope that's what I've done. I hope I've traded in my dream that I can be the star of my story and I've given into the fact that I don't want my name on the marquee anymore. I don't need to be in the credits. I can just be a background actor as long as I'm a part of a good story. If I could be, I would want to be in the best story of any story that's ever been told. Because that's the reality, right? If you're going to be in a story, you want to be in a good story. So for the rest of my time, what I want us to do is I want us to think about this. That our response to this whole thing, that God is on the move, is this. That I give up my story for God's story. I give up my story to be a part of God's story. So are you ready? (laughs) Look, there's some some people like, no, I'm really not yet. (laughs) You're writing, aren't you? Yeah, that's good. Go ahead and write. Let me try that one more time. Are you ready? Ready. See, look, that's what you're supposed to say. Ready. Okay, good. Now, the story of God begins in a time and a place in which I can't even describe to you. There are not words to describe it. You see, this is the truth about me. Every person I have ever met has been born. Pretty deep, isn't it, huh? Stick with me. And I'm pretty sure that every person that I've ever met is on a destiny to die. So everyone that I've met has been born, and everyone that I know will one day die. Their life will end. Now, it's hard for me to tell that in the story of God. Because He doesn't do that. He wasn't born. He's always been. And He will never die. He will always be. It would kind of be like a fruit fly trying to explain the story of my life. I mean, I just don't have the brain. I don't have the comprehension. I don't have the vocabulary to explain to you the story of God. But in the next... Few moments, I'll try to do my best, but I want you to know that even in doing in my best, I only scratch the surface to who this great big God is. Now, the good news for you and me is that God has given us a story that talks about the way He has always been, in a way that you and I could understand it, and. When he first began this story, and it starts in the Bible, he started it this way. The Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. I mean, it was just like this big, globby mess, and God had this itch to create. And one day, he said, let there be light. And there was light. I don't know if there was a sound effect or not. You know, I kind of added that. But there was light. And you see, folks, uh, the reality that you have to realize with God is that God is way different than us. I mean, I was born and I will die. But this God who created things simply by wanting them to exist, my little brain can't even absorb that. I mean, I can't say, I want dinner, and there's dinner, you know? I've tried that on my wife before. Not a good idea, okay? Not a good idea. But I'll never be able to do that. But he can. I mean, God loves to create, he loves to create things. And so later on, he said, Let there be planets, and let there be a sun, and a moon, and stars. He said let there be earth and land and water. Let there be vegetation. Let there be trees and grass. Let there be dandelions and weeds. that things that you choose to pay money to kill, you know? Even those things God liked at one point. And then God said, let there be fish, and let there be crawdads, and let there be octopus. Let there be storks, and let there be sparrows, and let there be crows, and let there be vultures. And then God said, let there be oddvarks, and platypus. What was he thinking, you know? But he liked them. He said, let there be horses, and let there be raccoons, and let there be mice. Let there even be house cats. I think. I don't know. And if you're a cat lover, don't send me emails this week. Okay, it was just a a small little thing. Could have been dogs. Could have been anything. And the thing is, God like speaks all these things into existence. And then He is seemingly done with His masterpiece that He's created. And then He says let there be man and i often think that when god kind of created man he sculpted him with these you know big pecs and kind of this you know six pack abs if i took my shirt off you would want to see that you know because that's pretty much me not 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 but god was Saying this is kind of the perfect representation of what man is and what he could be. And God looks down at man and for the first time ever, he looks down at the man and he says, this is not good. He does. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. Not with all of this stuff. (laughs) You know, like you give a man a lot of stuff and they get in trouble real quick. So the Bible says this, I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now this verse has been misused by sexist people. It's the man who needs the help, folks. Not the woman. And he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And the woman is created. He makes women and they're in paradise. And God speaks and he says... You are my creation. You are so special. You are loved. You are wonderful. You're the masterpiece of everything that I've ever created. I am the Creator. And you are the created. But you can do anything with creation. You can love it and manage it and do whatever. You're in charge of this entire garden called the world that I put you in. And you can eat from anything that you want, except a couple of trees that are in the middle of this garden. Don't eat from them or you will die. But you can eat from anything else. It's a smorgasbord of what you want. And then he said, you guys need to get busy procreating. He said, don't worry, you'll figure it out. You know, uh, it, it won't take long. And if you listen to kind of the commands that are given from God to man here at the very beginning, he says this. He says, be in charge of stuff, eat, and have special relations with that woman, which is kind of weird when I know there are children here this morning, okay? But those are three things that every man that I know of is into. Everyone. God knows what you want. He wants to tell you that you can have what you want. He created for you to want that. And He puts them into this garden with all this food, but the very next chapter, the man and the woman, they go and they're like magnetically attracted to this tree in the middle and they get so close to it and they're like, (sighs) Adam, look at that. Ah. And when that happens, they're pulled to this. And if they take and eat, it's the only thing that will say to God, we don't trust you. You see, God loves you so much. God loves you the man and the woman so much that He gives free will. He says you can have the choice of whatever you want. And so they saw the tree. And it wasn't only that it was good. But they realized that they could have wisdom and knowledge like God. And folks, the temptation was not the snake. The temptation was the fact that they could be just like God. They could be in charge. And so they take and they eat. Because they don't want to be the Creator. Or they want to be the Creator. They no longer want to be the created. And ever since that time, the human problem, the problem of all human beings has been that. That we want to be the Creator and not the created. And every human being since then has eaten from that fruit. And so God says, well, i got to go on the move. And so He kicks them out of the garden. And He says, you want to be in charge with your life? Go ahead, be in charge. Let's see how well it works. And only three chapters later, folks, in chapter 6, only three chapters later... It only takes three chapters for them to totally mess up this kind of experiment of the universe. And it's so bad that the Scripture says this, that now every thought of every person was evil all the time. Every thought of every person on planet Earth was evil all the time. I mean, I don't even think that was true of Hitler. You know, Hitler probably had a moment or two where he had a little dog and like pet it and thought, oh, that's nice, you know. But this gets so bad that it's every single person, every thought is evil all the time. And God saw it and He said, I can't do it anymore. The experiment has failed and He decides that He's going to wipe out His creation. But He sees one man, one guy by the name of Noah who is righteous, and who is filled with integrity. And who loved God. And God goes on to move, and He goes to Noah, and He says this. He says, Noah, I'm going to send a flood that will destroy everything that breathes. Nothing will be left alive. But I solemnly promise that you, your wife, your sons, and your daughters will all be safe in the boat. And everything God created perished except what was in the boat. And Noah and the animals and his family survived. He and his family were on the boat for over a year. Can you imagine being with your family in a car for a year? Sometimes I can't deal with them, you know, from the mall back. I mean, Friday was a perfect example, you know. And so he's in there for a whole year and God opens up the door and Noah walks out and there's land. And Noah, you know what he does? He immediately goes and he plants a vineyard and he grows these grapes and then he produces some wine and then he gets drunk out of his gourd. Because Noah cannot be righteous forever. He's like us. And all he wants to do is be the creator and not the created. Because that's what we all do, folks. We want to be in charge, we want to be our own God. So, several generations later, God goes on the move again. And he picks a guy who doesn't even worship the kind of God that the God who created the world. He didn't even worship that guy. He's he's worshiping like, you know, a rock and you know, a stick and that kind of stuff. And his name is Abram, which means father, and his wife is named Sarai, and which means princess. And both of them are very, very old, and they have no children, and they have no kingdom. But God speaks to him and he says, Abram, you don't know who I am, but I am the living God. And if you leave everything and you follow me, I promise you this. And this is what he says. I will bless you and make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham and Sarah are looking at each other other, and they're like, what? We don't even have a baby. We need babies. And God said, no problem. We can take care of that. Just follow me. And so they do. And God does one thing that He does time and time again throughout Scripture. And I don't know why He does it, but He takes old women and He makes them pregnant. It was medically impossible, but God does it. And this old woman gives birth to a child and you know what they name him? Isaac, which means laughter. Because they were both a hundred years old. You would be laughing too. If you're the woman, you're probably crying, but, you know, other people are laughing at you. But God is on the move, and He's slowly but surely kind of building a kingdom that He can be the king of, to build a place where He is the father and He has children. Now, it will take time, but eventually this kingdom that he builds so that he can be the king of, it grows. And it goes from three people, Abraham, Sarah, and their son Isaac. And then Isaac has a couple of sons. One is Esau and the other is Jacob. And Jacob is a jerk. He is a certified jerk. Just terrible. I hope no one here is named Jacob uh, except for one that I know of. So... But uh, he was a con artist. And he was only concerned about Jacob. He wanted to have his own reality show where he was in charge of everything, where he wrote it, where he produced it, and he directed it. You see, Jacob was only about one thing, and that was Jacob. And his name literally means deceiver or liar. And God says, I'll take this little liar and I'm going to love him no matter what he does. No matter where he goes, no matter if he doesn't even love me, I will continue to love him. And when Jacob gets a little older... He's still kind of cocky, and he says, well, I think I can wrestle God. And so they wrestle each other, and eventually at the very end, God kind of wins this wrestling match. And he says, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore, which means deceiver, but I'm going to call you Israel, which means prince. You know what? That's what God does with your life, folks. You may have lied, you may have been a deceiver, you may be whatever. And God is a God who's on the move. He's at move in your life. He brought you here today, not just to sit there and listen to me, but to let you know that the living God wants to turn your life around, just like He did Jacob. And this one liar, Jacob, eventually becomes the nation of Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons the twelve tribes of Israel. And one of them is a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph was like the all-Israeli you know, Israeli kind of um, boy. And he was a good kid. And they sold him into slavery, his brothers, because he was too good into Egypt. And within time, God raised this slave in Egypt To the second in command. Because folks, God is on the move. He takes people that the world says, you are not extraordinary at all. You're just ordinary. And He goes, no, no, no. With my hand on their life, all of a sudden, I'll make them extraordinary. And Joseph forgave his brothers. He brings them all back to Egypt. And all of a sudden now, those three people now become a family of 70 people. And God is the king of His kingdom. And here is, He is the father of His family. And He's on the move because God is always on the move. And eventually, Joseph died. But those 70 people believed very strongly in that commandment that was in the garden that said, go and get busy procreating. And all of a sudden, a few generations go by, but it goes from 70 people to 2 million people. I mean, that's a lot of babies, you know? Baby after baby after baby after baby are being produced. But the problem is now that the Pharaoh, the big kingpin of Egypt, doesn't know Joseph's story. And he says, oh, I have all of these people, and they're more than we are. I know what we're going to do. We're going to make them slaves. And so he puts two million people into slavery. But the people remembered about this God of Abraham and Isaac And Jacob, and they said, if he came and cared for the deceiver, he'll come and care for us. And they cry out to God, and immediately God goes on the move. And you know how he goes on the move? He goes and he finds a shepherd who is 80 years old. He's a convicted murderer, and he's been on the move for 40 years trying to escape what his past has been. And his name's Moses. And God comes to him and he calls out to him, go to Pharaoh and say this to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And Moses did what anyone would do if you were the only person who had to go against this all-powerful king. No thanks, I'm good. (laughs) You know, I don't need to do that, God. Hey, you're God, you know. I'm just Moses. He goes, come on, Moses. Quit being a wimp. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. Let's go. We're on the move. And Moses goes down to Pharaoh and in a series of events, eventually they all get two million of them out of Egypt and they are headed to this promised land that God wants, but a detour comes because all of a sudden, the people get whiny. And God hates whiny, selfish people. He loves them, but he hates when they're whiny. And uh, they come to Moses and they say, Moses, you said that God's on the move, but we are dying of thirst. Where's our water? We want water. And Moses is like, ugh, give me the stick. Bam, he hits a rock. Water gushes out. The people get their thirst quenched. First Gatorade commercial right there, you know. And, but that wasn't good enough. And so they come back to Moses and they go, Moses, I thought you said that God is on the move, but we want some bread. And so the next day, God comes and He literally allows heaven to open up and bread comes down and it feeds all the people, but they're not done yet. The next day they wake up and they're like, Moses, what are we supposed to do? We don't just want bread and water. Are we living in jail out here? We want some beef. Where's the beef? And God sends quail the next day that lands right in front of them. And people are like barbecuing, you know. And they're like, hey, it's pretty good. And every day, from that point on, they're just constantly asking, what about us? You see, the The reality is, folks, they wanted to be the Creator, not the created. They wanted to be the King, not the subject. They wanted to be the Father, not the children. But God had a plan. And He keeps on the move. And Moses messed up because all of us flub up, mess up, and screw up in this thing called life. And eventually he dies. He doesn't get to the Promised Land. And here are several million people that are in this wilderness, but they do not have a place or a homeland. But God goes to this young guy by the name of Joshua, and He comes to him and He says this, I command you to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you may need to take that and put it somewhere where you remember it later this week. That God is with you wherever you go. And God goes on the move with Joshua. And He takes the promised land. And God slowly but surely is creating this nation. And now He has a place. He has a parcel of land where He can be king. And where He can build His kingdom. But then, no sooner than He has this land, that the other, uh, that His children decide, no, 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 no. We don't want you to be a god. We want the gods like everybody else. And so they go to these other foreign gods. And they worship you know, like rocks and sticks and other things. And they're worshiping them. And pretty soon, these other nations attack. And the people cry out to God and they say, send us a deliverer, someone who will come. And God sends judges like Ehud and Deborah and Samson and Gideon, who was such a weakling of a man. You know Gideon's story? He's in this cave. It's a pit, actually. And he's in this pit trying to hide out from God. And God finally comes to him and says, Gideon, get out of the pit. I'm the God who's on the move. I can do great things through. Come on. Come with me. And yet they still turn to false gods and they worshipped them and they still wanted to be in charge. They didn't want a king. They wanted to be the king. And one day, that's what they did. They cried out to God and they said, God, we don't want you to be a king. We want a real king. Send us a king like all the other nations. And God turns to them and he says, I want to be your king. That's the whole point. I want to be your one and only king. I want to be the king so that I can run the kingdom and it will be so much better if you'll just choose to kind of allow me to be the king. And the people said, no, we don't want you. We want a real king. And so they give he finally gives in and He gives them a person to be a king. Because God is so gracious and so kind and so loving and so generous. And every single time that we go to God and we really, really desire something, sometimes even when we, He knows that it's not good for us because we want it so badly, He says, it's your choice. And so they find a king. And this was the king of all kings, humanly speaking. His name was David. He was just a 17-year-old little punk kind of teenage kid who was a shepherd. But one day, he goes up against like Shaquille O'Neal. And he's like, take this, Shaq. Bam! He throws a rock up in the air. It hits this guy. He falls down. And David becomes like, yeah, whoop, whoop, you know? I'm the man. But he was not an arrogant person. This king was so bad, he could be on American Gladiator and win it one night, and the next night go to American Idol and win it. I mean, this is the kind of king who wrote poetry, but he was a man's man. And he would take lions, and he would kill them with his bare hands. And he would take out giants. And in the same night, he would write poetry that women would just kind of swoon to. They'd be passing out like, whoa, David. He was the perfect king. In fact, the Bible says this, that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The only person in the entire Bible that that's told about. And he found him in David. And he was constantly giving glory to God. And he was like, it's not about me. It's about God. It's not about me. It's about God. Until one day, he broke seven of the Ten Commandments in five hours. Some of you couldn't try that. You couldn't do it if you tried, you know, but David did. You see, he saw this little girl, not so little, wasn't a girl at all. It was a hot woman, to be quite honest. And he saw her taking a bath, which she shouldn't have been taking a bath naked in front of everything, but he shouldn't have been looking. And that's the story. Even David, the great king, takes some fruit and says, no, no, no. I want to be the Creator, not the created. I want to be the king, not a subject. I want to be the father, not a child. And yet God is still on the move. And even in David's mess up plan, He forgives David and they go on. And then after David, the whole nation crumbles. And it's terrible and it's horrible and they're taken as slaves to ancient parts of the world. They just couldn't trust Him. So God sends some prophets and sometimes there would only be one person in this entire nation who would stand up and say, people, God really is on the move. And they would say, repent, turn from your sins and turn towards God. They would say, He's going to send the ultimate king." The king of all kings, the one who will suffer and even willing to die for the sins of all of us. And one of the prophets was a guy by the name of Isaiah. And God is going to send one, he says one day. God is going to send somebody. The time is almost here for everything to be made right. He says, I'm going to send somebody who's going to make everything right. He will come and He'll give sight to the blind and hope to the hopeless and shelter to the homeless and He will do anything to care for our needs. A kingdom can have a king and people can finally have a father. And then the prophets are silent. Nobody speaks and no one talks to God and no one hears from God for 400 years. Just silence. Century upon century of silence. And then seemingly, just kind of out of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, there's a person who would be considered a crazy man to some folks. Dressed in camel skins, eating grasshoppers, and wild honey. And he's preaching to no one in particular, just anyone who would listen. And he would say, Repent! Turn from your sin and turn towards God. God is on the move. And the guy was named John the Baptizer. And the reason that he got his name is that he would take somebody and he would say, do you repent? And they'd say, yes, repent. And he'd grab them. And he'd like plunge him into water. And he'd baptize them and say, now go and live for God. Don't do anything. And one day he's teaching and he looks out on the horizon and he sees a man and he goes, there he is. There is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who takes on the sins of the world. And Jesus himself, this 30 year old carpenter, is baptized by John. And the Bible says this, that when Jesus came up out of the water, the voice comes back. The voice that had spoken to Adam and Eve and Abram and Sarai and to Jacob and to Joseph and to Moses and to Joshua and the judges and David and the prophets. And finally, this voice comes back and this voice says, this is my son, whom I love, who I am well pleased with. Listen to him. Do what he says. And this was God's ultimate plan. God's one and only Son, would go on the move and finally people would turn to Him and they would live a life that honors one true King. But Jesus kind of goes rogue on them all and He goes to the places where the religious people don't like. He goes to the mob bosses and the prostitutes and the cripples and the elderly and the widowed children and He calls them all into the kingdom of God and He says, you can all come. Every single one of you, I don't care who you are, you're all welcome. But the religious people didn't like this, and they go, No, not everyone is welcome. It's just us who are the Jews. And so they kill him. God's ultimate plan fails. He's dead, he's physically dead. Three days, dead. But on the third day, God got on the move. He resurrected him. His physical body came up. The Scripture tells us that over 500 people witnessed Him. He brought His disciples together and He told them this. He says, go, get on the move and make followers of people in all the world. And let them know that they're special and I love them. And even though people might put me to a cross sometimes, I will never stop loving them. And the resurrection is the pinnacle of the story because we know that just as He was resurrected, the hope that we have is that because He was, one day we will be also and we don't have to fear death. And a little later on, a guy by the name of Peter goes and he preaches a message And 3,000 people come to Christ and the church is birthed. And a little bit later on, a guy by the name of Paul, who's a Christian murderer, he's killing Christians. One day he sees Jesus on this road and he says, Paul, Saul, don't do that, Saul. I'm going to change your name. You're going to be brand new. And Paul goes out and he gives this amazing love to everyone and anyone and everyone is welcome to the party. Not just the Jews, but anyone, everyone is accepted to come and be a part of it. Now at this point, the Bible is kind of no longer written, but the story of God continues to go on. And the Romans try to squelch the movement of the Christians and they take Christians and they burn them at the stake. They take their children and they kill them in front of all of them. They dismember parts of their body in the midst of everything. But the church rises up and it continues to grow all over the place. And finally it grows up to a place called Ireland. And there's this guy named Patrick and he takes all of these old kind of relics that are worshipped to false God, and he melts them down, and he makes crosses, because he says, We need crosses so that people will remember the story. And then a couple of centuries later, there's this son of a very wealthy fashion designer. His name's Francis of Assisi, and he's a guy who is just, you know, a snotty nosed brat, and he gets ambushed by the love of God. And God comes into his life and he says, I don't want any of this. I want to give it all away. And he becomes generous. And there's this spirit of generosity. And it still exists today. And God kept on moving. But finally, the church simply became all about itself. The church said, no, 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 no. We want to be the king. The church wants to be the king. And the church wanted to be the king rather than the subject. So this monk in Germany, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, comes and he takes these uh you know, these questions and he writes them on a the door, and one of them is this why are you doing this as a church? There is only one king, and the, the 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 church is not the king. Only God is the king, and he starts this reformation, and you're sitting here today because of him. And it didn't stop there, but generation after generation after generation, God kept calling people to come and to be a part of His kingdom. To be the King. He would be the King, and we would be His subjects. And to our generation, He called Martin Luther King Jr., who had a dream, and his dream was God's dream. That God would call people, regardless of color or race, into this same kingdom. And people like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, people that you know of, that go on and on and on. And there's thousands and thousands of other people that you don't even know of, and you'll never know. But they've given their life to this king, and they're giving it all to him. And it finally comes down to the person who's sitting in your chair right now. And whoever that is, God is asking, will you follow me? I'm the God on the move. You. Folks, God is on the go. He is on the move. And He wants you to be on the move. And the cool thing is, we know how the story ends. It's like being on top of a roller coaster. And you know that you're going to go down and it's going to be awesome. You just know what's going to happen. We already know the end of the story. The Bible tells us that one day, Jesus is going to come. That the eastern skies will split and He will come and He's going to say, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth and my Father will finally reign forever. And God will actually be here and we'll see Him and we'll recognize Him and we'll walk with Him and He'll be with us. And Jesus promises this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away and I will make all things new. God says simply, be with Me. Follow Me. Let Me be the King. You be the subject. Let Me be the Father. You be the children. Folks, do you realize that? I don't think you realize how special you are. When you give your life to Christ, all of a sudden, you're engrafted into that story. And you're just as important as anyone in the story because you choose to follow the King, the God, on the move. And all he asks is, you know, your marquee that you want up in lights, just tear it down. And next week is the most important day of this God's story. The one that says not even death holds him, but he's alive and he wants to reign in your life and i can't imagine anyone that would have a better time to take this and actually do something with it and to invite someone to be a part of the god who is on the move it might be a coworker It might be the guy down the office. It may be across the factory floor. It may be the neighbor across the street. It might be someone in your family. I don't know who that is, but I do know this, that God is on the move and He wants you to be on the move. So He says, lace up your shoes because God is on the move. And I have no doubt that today there are some people here that said, you know what? I'm going to come the week before Easter because I just don't want people to think I just come on Easter. You know. And you've tried to build this life of yours on your own. You've tried to do it on your own. You've tried to put yourself on the marquee, and now maybe just this is the day you're ready to trade in your story for God's story. Maybe you're like, you know what? My story's not so good. I need a new story. So I'm going to pray with us for all of us, but some of us in particular, that today's the day. You've heard the whole story, you've got God's story. And now the question simply is do you want to trade in your story for God's story? I invite the prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, go ahead. But let's stand. For closing prayer. And as I kind of pray uh, this prayer, I would invite you to um, just kind of pray it silently to your heart. Um, Not out loud, but just kind of to yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are the Father and I'm the Child. You're the King and I'm Your subject. You are the Creator and I'm the created. God, I no longer want to be the star of my pathetic story. But I want to be a part of your story. Forgive me of my failures, of my mistakes, of my mess-ups. And help me to walk in a new way into your story. God, I'm trading in my story for your story. I surrender my story to your greater one. And I want to follow You. Help me this week, God, to share Your story with someone else, even if it's an invitation. Because, God, as I've traded mine in, I can't imagine that anyone else wouldn't want to trade their story in for the best story ever written. God, I know You're the God on the move. Help me to move in Your ways this week so that Your name may be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.